He's holding you through your joys and trials, your pains and sorrows. He's holding you. You're in his hand, his almighty sovereign hand. When you feel it and when you don't, he's holding you. Trust him. And turn to James 2. And that might surprise you a little bit. We're in a series on Romans. But as you, if you'll remember, we've been uh, studying in Romans uh, the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone and showing that we're made right with God by faith alone. And even that faith is a gift that we don't have to work our way to God. Right? <clears throat> that we are declared righteous by God on the basis of His Son through the faith He has given to us, we've been united to Christ. Our sins washed away and His righteousness clothing us such that God would look at us and declare us righteous in His courtroom, acceptable in His sight, as holy as His Son is. Sola fide, justified by faith alone. And there are some who don't believe that doctrine, and they are some who would try to use James as a justification for not believing that doctrine. And we'll see why there's some tension as we look through this section in James this morning. But I'm going to read, this, this, this text will do you good. This is not a merely an academic exercise. You should be asking the question, did I make my alarm go off? I don't think so. We should be asking the question, is my faith real? Is my faith real? We should always want to know that. Examine yourself, Scripture says. God, search me and try me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we'll see that's James' concern as we, as we work through this. But look at chapter 2 of the book of James, verse 14. And I'll read through the end of the chapter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Thus far God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, all we want is for you to take your word and transform us with it. Teach it to us. Make sure, help us to understand it rightly <clears throat> and to live in its light. So help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit according to the truth that it contains. Help us to hear your word as your word with a purpose of understanding it and living in its light, Lord. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Speak to us by your spirit through your word that we might either be brought to faith or grown in grace. It is in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You know, there's a couple of vital questions that we all need to answer. And number one is, how can a sinner be reconciled to a holy God? We need to think about that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None want condemnation. All want to go to heaven. But how can a sinner be reconciled to a holy God? See, that's what we're studying in Romans, and that's what Paul is talking about in our study in Romans. So far as we've studied in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll finish up through chapter 5 and uh, begin talking about sanctification in 6. <clears throat> How can I, a sinner, be made right with a holy, not just any God, but a holy God, a God who must judge sin, a God who cannot sweep sin under the rug and remain holy and remain true? So how can I be made right with him? Well, that's, again, what we're studying in Romans. But see, there's a second and vital question when we come to that answer. The answer that we get is how a sinner can be reconciled to God is through faith and faith alone. And we've, again, been studying that. So our second vital question needs to be, and for some reason we run from things like this, but it's nothing to fear. Open, honest examination. But the second question is, how can I know that my faith is genuine? How can I know that I have true faith? See, that's scary because there's a such thing as false faith. Non-saving faith. Mental assent that doesn't change the life. And see, that's what James is addressing. How, 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 how do we tell the difference between a dead faith and a living faith? In other words, for the practical application for me, how can I know my faith is real? Because I don't want to wait to get to standing before the Lord Jesus Christ to find out. I don't want to take that chance. I don't want to stand before him on that day and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want to be deceived. And I hope you don't want to either. Because this is a vital, vital question that James is answering. And an important point that I will show you, I think, today, 
is that James and Paul do not contradict each other. They complement one another perfectly. See, James doesn't contradict Paul any more than Jesus contradicts Paul. Or, But we have to know what we're talking about. A bit about James. James the just, the uh, brother or half-brother of the Lord, son of Mary. Yes, real son of Mary and Joseph. Wasn't Jesus' cousin? Don't have time to go into that today. But if you can look in Matthew, Matthew 13, 55, James, that James is the one we're talking about that wrote the book of James. And the theme of James is living out one's faith. It's being, chapter 1, verse 22, if you want a theme verse, it's being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. There's a real danger for you coming to church every Sunday and, and hearing and going out the doors and forgetting and it not having any impact on your life. Because it's possible to be a church hearer without having real faith. But the theme of James is being a doer of the word and not a hearing only. And listen, some say that this book is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, on the teachings of his brother. And as you read through it and compare it to some of those topics, you can, you can kind of see that. Deeply influenced by Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean... James has already talked about in chapter 1, testing our faith and counting it all joy in the midst of the trials. He talks about hearing and doing the Word of God. And in chapter 2, the sin of partiality. Now we're coming to faith without works is dead or the difference between a faith that is living and a faith that is dead. He'll go on to talk about taming the tongue and worldliness and warnings to the rich and all sorts of things. But we're jumping in the middle, I know. But we're jumping into the place where some people think that James denies justification by faith alone. And I'm here to tell you, he does not. And, and listen, if we just plainly read it, we can see that. In this section, James contrasts what one of my professors in seminary called the difference between a say-so faith and a see-so faith. The difference between a mere profession of faith and a real possession of faith that shapes the life. But we're going to use that say-so and see-so in our outline. It's kind of catchy. Hopefully you'll remember it. But the main point today is good works are the essential evidence of saving faith. It's something for us to know and ponder and to be able to examine ourselves with. Good works are the essential evidence of saving faith. And you'll see that that's the way James presents it. Look first at the insufficiency of a say-so faith. Verse 14. Now, now watch how he talks and he's very straight and to the point. And if we're listening, we'll get it. What good is it, my brothers or brethren, encompassing the entire church, if someone says he had faith but does not have works? If someone makes a profession of faith, but it really hasn't changed their life. They're really not a different person than they were before they 
had this encounter. And sometimes it's a dramatic encounter. I mean, I, I, I know people from my own hometown who had this dramatic experience that two years later you couldn't find them with a search warrant if you were looking for them anywhere around the church. What good is it, is it if I claim to have faith in Jesus but I don't follow Him? I want Him to take me to heaven but I don't trust Him to take me through this earth. It's the kind of faith that is preached every Sunday in churches all over this country. And that's why the church is such a mess. If you'll just come down here, this is more about the preacher than it is the person. If you'll just raise your hand, now I'm going to sneak up on you. Okay, everybody who raised your hand, you got to come forward. If you'll just come down here and pray this prayer, then I'll assure you you're a Christian and tell you to never doubt it. I promise you, you can't find that in the Bible. There are sinners who prayed in the Bible and were converted. But there's not a sinner's prayer in the Bible that you can parrot and make sure you're going to heaven. That's easy believing that it must be eradicated. It is not the gospel. You have churches full of people who've walked an aisle and shaken a preacher's hand, who've come to some imaginary altar, <clears throat> and it made no difference in their life. They come to church and they're on the broken door committee and they're driving the preacher crazy, but they don't know Jesus. And boy, if you doubt it, you come to the congregational meeting. That's one of the most un ungodly things I've ever seen in my life. That's not where I'm going this morning. Look what James says, but I, really, I want us to get this. There are a lot of people in the churches today who have assurance that shouldn't. Who have mental assent, who give money to the church. Who give God something so He'll bless them. James says, what good is that? What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 14. What he means is, can that kind of faith save him? A faith that is a mere profession without works. And believe me, I'm going to define good works in, in, here not too long. I hope you're itching for that. James expects a no answer here. No, that kind of faith can't save him any more than... And he uses an illustration here. Love without action is dead. Is no good. It sounds very pious sometimes. But it does nothing to relieve suffering. Look at what he says in verse 15. He's, he's illustrating. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Well, that was a blessing, right? But, there's a but. Or without. Without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Implied answer, no good. 
didn't help. In fact, it was discouraging probably. What it really meant was, I don't really want to hear about it. What good is that kind of love? It's no good. And then he says in verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A faith that is by itself without good works is a dead faith. It's no good. It does not save. It would be better if you didn't have it. It wasn't produced by God. It's only deceiving you. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I mean, what's true of a body that doesn't have a pulse or blood pressure or dead? Not living, not mostly dead. Dead. Faith without works is dead. Does my life prove my profession? And my, my, my believing in Jesus and trusting in Him, is that evidenced by a following after Him? A loving Him. We'll see what, what those works mean here in a minute. But it's simply a say-so faith. It's a bare profession with no fruit and it's useless. Look what Jesus said. And this is what I was warning you about earlier. Because they're going to watch this text. There are going to be a lot of people in this category. Not a few. And I didn't say that. Jesus did. R.C. Sproul came and preached in a church one time that, that I went to. And this was the text he preached. And he said it was the scariest text he knew of in the Bible. I believe he's right. There are a lot of church people who don't know Jesus. Look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's a, whenever you see that repetition, that's a, that's a claim to intimacy. It's a claim of relationship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hear James saying, the one who has faith accompanied by good works, what Jesus calls doing the will of the Father. Now watch this. This is scary. On that day, many will say to me. Now watch what they did. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Is it possible to do all that stuff and be lost? Is any of that stuff evidence that you truly have the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian? Well, let's let Jesus answer that. He said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you whose lives were devoid of good works. In fact, your life was characterized by the opposite of good works. Yeah, you did a lot of religious stuff. And people made you feel good about it. But your heart was not for me. It was against me. And notice what Jesus said. He doesn't say that you had it one time and you lost it. He says, I never knew you. They had made a false profession. They didn't really know the Lord. And he said, many people are going to stand before him and hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. Your life was not characterized by love. It was characterized by lawlessness. You had a say-so faith. You made a profession. 
You did sort of mighty works in the church. But I never knew you. Why do I preach so hard sometimes? Because I don't want you to hear that. I care whether or not you leave and never come back, but not to the extent that I will lie to you. Because your most important thing to know is that Christ is the way sinners are saved and to know what true faith is and to know whether or not you have it. You see the insufficiency of a say-so faith. James says, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Look down in verse 26. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. A mere profession of faith. Yes, you made it two-thirds of the way. You heard the gospel and you believed the facts of the gospel were true. You believed, you had mental assent to the truth of those facts. But you're not saved yet. You didn't come all the way into a trust that is produced by the Holy Spirit that will be accompanied by good works. Look secondly at the necessity of a see-so faith. Look, look in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, James says. How, would, how could you do that? I mean, you don't have a faith badge. You can't pull your faith out and look how shiny and pretty it is. Our hearts demonstrate our lives. He says, and now watch what he says. And I will show you my faith by my works. Look what he doesn't say. He didn't say, I will show God my faith. God knows. God knows. We don't show him anything. It ever occur to you? Nothing ever occurs to God. He, know, he doesn't learn. He knows everything. Now, he didn't say this either. He didn't say, I will save myself by my good works. Now, but watch what he did say. I will show you. Who's the audience? People. You will be able to see that my faith is real by what I do. You can't see into my heart. You can't judge my motives. Any of that and your perception may be off sometimes. But we should be able to see the works of God working grace in us. The fruit of the Spirit. We should be able to look at each other's lives and say and see Christ's likeness. James says, here's what I'm talking about. A true faith has works and I'll show you my faith by what I do, by my works. So let's, let's, let's stop and, and define good works. Because he's saying he's, they're going to demonstrate our faith. The works will demonstrate our faith. My faith is genuine. You'll see it by my works, which are the fruit and evidence that the Spirit is at work in my life. You can't have the Spirit without having the fruit of the Spirit. Ever thought of that? But here's what good works are according to the Bible. We'll do some more work here. Number one, a good work is something that's done for the glory of God. The motivation behind it is the glory of God. Number two, a good work is done in accord with the Word of God. 
In other words, it's, a, it's an obedience to the Word. Done out of love for God and seeking His glory. Number three, a good work is done by the Spirit of God. See what I mean? If, you, if, you're, if you're saved, we like to talk like that, you have the Spirit of God working in you and through you. It's empowered by the Spirit. Fourth, a good work proceeds from a heart purified by faith. And good works are imperfect in this life, but growing. Notice, they're not perfect, but they're there and growing. Notice, we remember 1 John when we quoted that, those who proclaim faith in Jesus should walk the way He walked. Joyful obedience to the Father out of love. So what we're talking about here is, is a love for God, a love for one another. <laughs> Summary of what, right? But growing joyful obedience to God is the evidence of a true and lively faith, if you want to boil it down that way. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You want to know if you love Jesus? Do you keep his commandments? That's the true way to know whether or not you love Jesus. See, we want to look in our feelings, don't we? We look at the cross, we get emotional. Yes, I love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But see, good works are growing joyful obedience to God that is the evidence that we are alive in Jesus. We, we spiritually are alive. We've been brought from death to life through the preaching of the gospel. And listen... The works that prove the profession of faith are in perfect harmony with what Paul teaches. And I mean, we're going to see there when we get there in Romans. Romans is just a longer book. But remember, I'm quoting this verses, these verses to you all the time. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Watch how the... We love to 8 and 9, and often we'll just forget about 10, but it's part of the, part of the context. Remember context. For, you have, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't work my way into it. It's a free gift to me. I receive Jesus and the salvation that He has. But if I really receive Jesus and the salvation that is mine in Him, look at verse 10, connection 4. See how this all goes together. We are His workmanship. He did it. Created in Christ Jesus. Here we go. Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we're saved, we're really saved by grace. We're saved from sin and self and condemnation unto God and loving Him and growingly walking in good works or joyful obedience. Good works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the necessary fruit of it fruit of the spirit proves presence of the spirit loving obedience to Jesus proves faith in him good works are the necessary fruit of a true salvation by grace the fruit proves the difference I mean, think of the parable of wheat and the tares, right? They look exactly the same until they bore fruit. And then there's the wheat on some of them. Oh, those are the real ones. Peaches, peach trees and nectarine trees look exactly alike. 
They look alike. See, I can't stand up here this morning and look at you and go, oh, yep, false, true, false. Jesus could do that. Not me. Peach and nectarine trees look alike. The only way to tell the difference is guess. Look at the fruit they produced. You go to the store and buy an apple tree, and it's just a little tree, and it, it grows up to maturity, and lemons grow on it. Did you have an apple tree? No. No matter how sincere you were, it was a lemon tree. And I don't even know if they'll grow around here. I, I just don't know that much about it. But if it's a peach tree, it'll produce peaches. If it's a spirit tree, it'll produce fruit of the spirit. Many make a profession of faith, but their faith does not produce the fruit of good works and obedience. What should we conclude? Well, James helps us with that, that it's a dead faith because God always sanctifies the one He justifies. They're both a work of the same grace. And look, look, James is going to bring some witnesses into the picture here. But in verse 9, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Catch that. Faith apart from works is useless. And he brings two witnesses here. And these are where we get into the controversy. Okay? The linguistic controversy. He says this, was not Abraham our, for, our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? James says that Abraham was justified by works. Now look, he says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was counted him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. We'll come back to this. And then he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And that's what I've had people point to me and say, see, sola file is not true. It plainly says it right there. Using the same language. He says, and in the same way, it was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she sent, received messengers and sent them out the other way. James says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, how do we... Paul says we're justified by faith alone and James says we're justified by works. Maybe the word for justified is different. No, it's not. It's the same word. Here's a clue for you. The same word can be used by differing authors in the Bible in different ways. In fact, the same word can be used by the same author in different ways. Remember our study in Romans, Paul's use of the word law. So you got to be careful with word studies because there's word study fallacies and you think that a whole range of meanings of a word apply in every instance or that you narrowed it down to this one over here so it means that in every place that, that you find it. That's not true. The same word can be used by two different authors and it can be used in two different ways. Imagine this. Imagine Cliff and I both say, that's a cool car. 
That's a cool car. You might be tempted to think that we are meaning the same thing. But if you know the contents of the, the context of the statement, you'd see that we do not. See, Cliff had just ridden in the car and found out on the way to church this morning that the heat was not working. So Cliff was cold. And when he said that that was a cool car, he meant that, literally. But when he pulled up in the car, it was a good-looking car. And I looked at that car, and I thought, that's a cool car. I didn't mean it was cold. I mean, it was a nice car. But we both used the same word. One more literally and one more figuratively. But if you just pull our two statements out of the context, you'll have trouble interpreting, right? You won't know. But if you know the story behind the two statements, then you're able to see, you, you bring, recon, you say, okay, I understand. Cliff got cold and Jeff was excited about the car. No contradiction. This word for justification has more than one meaning. It, has, it, it, it does mean to declare righteous. God declares. In the declarative sense of the word, that's the way Paul is using it. But it also means to demonstrate or prove righteous. In other words, before people. Justification this way, justification this way. And James is using it in the demonstrative sense. See, Paul used justification in a legal sense, whereas James used it in a demonstrative sense. Paul is talking about justification before God. James is talking about justification before people. Or think vindication. Vindication before people. Jesus even used the same word that way. Shows us that we're not off base. Luke 7, 34 and 35. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now watch this. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, what he means is wisdom is vindicated, or wisdom is shown to be true wisdom by what it produces. Very same word for justification that both Paul uses and James uses. And it's important to get this, to get this before your mind. And even look at the, remember the language James is using when he's talking about this. He said, I will show you people my faith by my works. You'll be able to see by what it produces in my life that I have true faith. And therefore, there will be no contradiction between Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone and mine of vindication by a life of good works. See, even in the life of Abraham, he quotes Abraham here. And he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now watch. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. What chapter is that? We're reading Genesis. That's 22. 
James looks to chapter 22. What chapter did Paul quote when he said that Abraham was justified by faith alone? That was 15. Chapter 15, verse 6. So Paul, James is quoting something that happened way after Paul was justified in chapter 15, but his actions with his son proved that claim to faith to be true. And then that perfected things. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. To completed means to be matured. Or, or to be um, full-grown, shown genuine. So the fact that Abraham, and we read Hebrews, we won't do that this morning. He was confident God was going to raise Isaac from the dead, so he was raising the knife to slay him when God stopped him and provided a substitute. But that was coming from the faith that he already had before he was circumcised or before any of this, that he was justified in chapter 15. See, it's the same person they refer to, but two different incidents. And in fact, uh, James goes on to say that uh, in the scripture, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was fulfilled. It was shown to be true. In the life of Abraham, it was fulfilled because he believed God and therefore not only he just believed that his descendants would be as the stars and the Messiah would come through him, but he believed God when he was standing there with that knife in his hand. And he'd already said, God's promised me that the seed is going to come through Isaac. So he must be going to raise him from the dead. This is simply a test of faith. So I'm willing to go through it. And God stopped it. And God will never tell you to do that when you're children. And he provided a ram. Right? And we know the rest of the story. See, Abraham's works proved his profession of faith. And you know, look back on his life. His works weren't perfect. But they were there and growing. And as Jesus said, wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is vindicated. Abraham's claim to faith was vindicated by the good works in his life. Wisdom is vindicated. Faith is vindicated as true faith by what it produces. And what it produces if it's real is good works. If anyone's faith is not accompanied by good works, look at verse 26. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So you can see that James and Paul don't contradict each other. Yeah, they use some of the same words, but they're using them in different ways. James is not teaching that we're made right with God by good works. Paul's concern is how can a sinner be made right with God? And James' concern is how do we tell the difference between a true and a false faith? How do I know my faith is real? I'll just give you some concluding remarks and, and we're done. And you can go before God and ask Him to search you and prove you. Number one, true faith trusts Christ alone for salvation. You saw that in Ephesians 2. You're seeing that in Romans. 
True faith trusts Christ alone. Christ came and lived under the law and fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. He deserved only blessing, but a people had been given to him before the foundation of the world that he came to save. You can read John 17 and other places and see that. So after he has fulfilled the law, he deserves only blessing, but he takes our guilt upon himself and dies on the cross, paying our penalty. He took the condemnation due us upon him. And because he was God and man, he drank that cup dry on the cross and could say, it is finished. So that we receive him by faith. Faith is simply the hand that receives the gift. It's not meritorious. We trust in him. And that's how we're converted is by trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. For God so loved the world, literally, for God loved the world in this manner or in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes into Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? See, it is a say-so faith, but it's not say-so only. We are justified by Christ alone and not our own works. But when we come to faith in Jesus, God's not done with us yet. He justifies us, but then He begins at that point growing us in grace. So, number one, true faith trusts Christ alone for salvation. Number two, but true faith also bears the fruit of good works. There will be a present and growing obedience to Jesus in the life that God has transformed. There'll be a present and growing obedience that is fueled by love and gratitude. So it'll be a say-so faith. We'll have a profession of faith, but it'll also be a see-so faith because people will be able to see that our lives are different. We have, we have repented of our sin. And we're seeking to walk in a new way now. We're trusting in Jesus. We hate our sin now and we want to be free from it. So we're growing in walking in joyful obedience to Jesus if you don't have that part you don't have true faith that's what James is saying faith without works is dead listen if your kids came claim to believe in Jesus but they're not following him what you should assume is they don't know Jesus if your parents claim to believe in Jesus but they're not following them him what you should assume is that they don't know him See, we let people off the hook too easy. Oh, but, but they walked the aisle. They shook the preacher's hand. They made a profession of faith. Yes, they're living like hell now, but they did that. So God is faithful. He, don't try to justify false faith. People are showing you who they are. If they don't love Jesus, they don't know Him. They don't love His Word. The Spirit's not in them. Thirdly, how do I know my faith is real? You need community. You're a really bad judge of yourself. Really, really bad judge of yourself. You need others around you who can see the good works in your life. You're not a good judge of your own spiritual health. If you isolate yourself to your own opinion, you will probably be wrong.
Dive into community. Love and serve together. Fellowship with other believers. It's essential to walk in true assurance. Think about what we've recently done and nominated new deacons and elders. How did you know who to nominate? Because you looked around and saw that these men were following Christ in that way and serving in that way. But, I mean, the requirements of a deacon and an elder are simply the requirements for the most part, not all of them, of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And if we were all doing satellite church and everybody was doing the live stream, how in the world would you be able to do that? You couldn't, could you? That thing, that camera is an accommodation. It's not a replacement. That's all some people have, and I get that. But if you're sitting there watching me because it's easier for you to do it there in your pajamas, I've said this before. Repent of those pajamas and get your tail into worship. (laughs) Because you cannot replace what happens here. Anthony and Lisa sing good, but you couldn't hear all these brethren around me praising God and singing... Oh, gosh. You need community and you can't get it through an idiot box. Now, if that's all you have, and if you're shut in or if you're around the world somewhere or whatever, make use of it. But in some way, get around some Christians and be willing to be confronted and be willing to be encouraged and all the rest of the dynamics of body life. But you won't know whether or not you're a Christian if you're living in isolation. And you, listen, look at me. You can be sitting here this morning and be living in isolation. You don't let people in. You don't let them know you. You only come on Sunday. That's not community. It's fellowship together around Christ. And you're going to walk in deep and true assurance to the extent that you pour into community because that's how God works. Yes, to use us, but also to confirm us. Number four, I've said it already, so I'll be quick. Beware of the danger of deception. Many in the church today are deceived. Any claim of faith that is devoid from good works, that is devoid from a loving, joyful obedience to Christ and growing in it, that is devoid of following Him, is a false profession. So stop letting people off the hook. Don't over-evaluate your friends or your children. I mean, don't be mean to them. Just if they're not following Jesus, they don't know Him, be gospel light to them. Right? But there's a danger of being deceived, and Jesus warned about it. We're tempted to lean on the profession of those closest to us. But we've got to stop coddling false faith in the church. Right? We need to preach the truth and apply the truth and live the truth. If you know Jesus, your life will prove it. And others will see it and be able to encourage you. You won't be glorified yet, but you'll be striving together to follow Jesus. So listen, this is really something you need to take before God and don't be afraid to do it. Is your faith genuine? Is it accompanied by good works? Remember those, the definitions. If you, if you need them again, I'll 
Yeah, nursery workers, I'm not saying it takes me a little longer. A good work is one that's done for the glory of God. It's in accord with the Word of God. It's done by the Spirit of God. It proceeds from a heart purified by faith. Uh, and it's imperfect but growing in this life. Does your faith have the fruit of good works? Do you have a living faith or a dead faith? May God give each of us the grace to know the difference and have, and have a confidence that our faith is real, that it is living, that it is a saving faith that is evidenced by growing in good works as we follow Jesus. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again, I, I, I thank you for this text. I thank you for James' passion to clarify false faith and true faith. I thank you for the fact that you use that word, and I pray that you'd use it in our hearts. Search us and know us. Try us, Lord. See if we really trust you. Those of us who don't have a real faith, show us that, that we might repent. And those of us who do are probably most sort of tender by this, and maybe it could be cause to doubt. Confirm us. And help us to have the guts to ask those around us, do you see Christ's likeness in me? Not, not perfect, but do you see it? Help us, Lord. I pray that none of us, within the sound of my voice, and in the church in general, but especially, would have that kind of faith that is just mere presumption. The kind of faith that will hear you say, depart from me, I never knew you but the one that will hear you say, enter into the joy of your Lord because it is your good pleasure to give your kingdom to your flock. Help us, Father, to have a true and vibrant, abiding and growing faith that produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. one that shows its reality by its good works. Help us not to confuse justification and sanctification, but help us not to wash either one of them out either. We want to be true disciples of Christ, true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it so, Lord, is our cry. We look to you. And trust you for it. And give you all the praise. In Jesus name. Amen.